Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Sutton service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. Good morning, everyone. How are you doing? Oh, I'll do that again. Good morning, everyone. How are you doing? That's better. Happy first birthday. You look great for one year old. And I uh, can't believe the year uh, has gone by so quickly over the last 12 months. Uh, just want to start by adding my thank you to that of Joy's uh, for each and every way that you've contributed to making church happen over the last 12 months. I uh, want to say thank you for three things in particular. Uh, firstly, all the really obvious stuff. Uh, the moving of boxes, the setting up of kind of tech and PA equipment, for caring for our wild children in the two rooms next door, uh, for flowering in the local area. A uh, big thank you to Gary in particular for keeping us almost single-handedly fed and watered through the last 12 months, uh, for getting involved in Connect Group, for, for all the obvious stuff that go into making church happen. We are hugely grateful. Uh, secondly, I, I want to say a big thank you for all the hidden stuff. Uh, the stuff that goes on that uh, nobody fully knows about, but I know happens. For every prayer that you have prayed that only God has heard, thank you. Uh, for every person that you have invited to Christmas or Easter or summer parties or more, even if they've said no, thank you. For every pastoral chat or encouraging word, I don't know what uh, all that happens. I know it does happen, though, and we are hugely grateful. And then the, the third thing I want to say thank you for, uh, which I think is more important than the other two put together, is your friendship. Uh, if it's not too cheesy a way to start a sermon, uh, Joy and I love you very, very much. And we live with the conviction that at the heart of any church community, you should just be a group of people who just love each other, who love hanging out, who love being with each other. And I think something very special is happening in that regard at the core of who we are as a community. And so, yes, thank you for all the stuff that you've done. More importantly, thanks for just being great friends. And we just think you guys are amazing. Okay, cheesy start over. Um, last week was obviously a really significant Sunday for us as a church. We started our sixth service in Bethnal Green. Uh, it was great to be there last Sunday evening to hear how their 10.30 had gone. They got off to a fantastic start. Thank you to all your uh, prayers for that too. I know they massively appreciated it. And last Sunday and this Sunday, each of our services are taking a break from the sermon series we're going through this term. We'll be back to that next Sunday to look at where each individual service is at. Uh, and so today, here in Sutton, I want to talk about what we're all about as a service. Where have we come from? Where are we going? What is this service all about? And at full disclosure at the beginning, I do not have a catchy vision statement for this service. Uh, in fact, I'm not uh, a fan of catchy vision statements, and I'll say more about why a little later on. But instead, what I want to do is outline four key values for us as a service. And if you want, you can consider these to be like the four legs of a table upon which we're building everything else. And I want to root these four values in a passage in the Bible. So if you have one, please turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. And we're going to read a very well-known story together. Uh, this is actually the only miracle maybe aside from the resurrection, that appears in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and we're going to read Mark's account of the feeding of the 5,000, and it begins at Mark chapter 6, verse 30 through to verse 44. This is what it says. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have chance to eat, Jesus said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. 
By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Okay, I just want to draw out four things we learn about Jesus here that correspond to the four values upon which we're building this service. Value number one is this. Everyone is welcome. This is to be a loving family with a wide front door where everyone is welcome. A couple of bits of context to this miracle story. Context number one, Jesus has just found out that his friend and cousin, John the Baptist, has been killed. Uh, Matthew and Mark, uh, the Gospels particularly pick up on this, Luke to some extent as well, and he's not just been killed, he's been murdered in the most barbaric way, he's been beheaded by King Herod. So imagine both the grief going on in Jesus at losing his friend and cousin, but also the other emotions that it evokes. Because in some ways, the people that came for John are one day going to come for him. Jesus is going to the cross. That's context number one. Context number two is the disciples have just returned from being sent out by Jesus on mission to preach the good news, to drive out demons, to heal the sick, and they've been so busy they've not even had time to eat. So they're hungry and they are tired. So given these two pieces of context, Jesus looks at these 12 guys and he says, you know what, I think we need some downtime. Let's go find a quiet place and get some rest. And so off they head. But the people recognize them and spot where they're going. And so they head there and they get to this solitary place ahead of Jesus and the disciples. Uh, I'm sure most of you know this, but the uh, passage says 5,000 men. Most commentaries think that does not include women and children. So they put the crowd at around about 18,000 people. So imagine Jesus and his disciples, they're desperate for some peace and quiet. They get to this quiet place and suddenly 18,000 people are walking towards them. This is like an introvert's nightmare. Have you ever had a moment where maybe you are exhausted by life, like you feel burnt out, totally stressed, emotionally exhausted, and you finally, oh, you get home, you're having some downtime, and suddenly there's a knock at the door, or ding dong. Have you ever been like, who's that? Shall we hide? Shall we pretend we're not in? Anyone ever done that? You'll look at me as if to say, you clearly have. No, no, I've never, I've never done that. Not with any of you, at least. But we all know how that feels. Like, oh, oh, I've got to give out again. Thank goodness for Jesus. He sees 18,000 people and everybody is welcome. And Mark is clear, these are needy people. These are takers, they are not givers. Mark says they're like sheep without a shepherd. They lack direction. They lack security, they lack purpose, they lack hope. And Jesus looks at them and says, everyone is welcome here. And he begins teaching them many things. He starts giving into them, putting into them. This is a picture of who we are to be. 
Uh, I've shared this story uh, a number of times in different contexts. Uh, no apologies, actually, for repetition. Uh, sometimes, as a leader, I think it's good to repeat particular stories so they get into the community as a people. It's kind of like part of our DNA. So if you've heard this before, it's a very simple story. Uh, please listen again with fresh ears. Uh, about 12 months ago, just before we launched weekly services here in Sutton, uh, a small group of us were praying at someone's home for the launch of this service. And as we were praying, we are getting towards the end of the evening, and somebody just had a really simple picture that this would be a community that particularly attracts the broken and the depressed and the grieving and the lonely and the hurting and those burnt or disillusioned by church, those disappointed with life. And through this motley crew, Jesus would do something very, very special. As they shared that the, the story of David in Adullam's cave came to mind in the Old Testament. If you know that story, David's fleeing for his life. King Saul is trying to kill him. And he ends up in a deep, dark cave, and we're told those who are depressed, discontented, or in debt end up rallying to him. And somehow through that broken group of people, a new kingdom is formed. A group of mighty warriors are formed. And as this picture was shared, I wasn't expecting it. I wasn't looking for it. I just had the most extraordinary experience of the presence of the Holy Spirit. It was almost like I could see it happening. It was like I wanted to say, that is exactly what God's going to do amongst us. And to be honest, if I look over the first 12 months of meeting together as a service, I think God's already begun to do that amongst us. It has been really striking to me how many people in our community, those who've been around for a long time, those who are new, over the last 12 months have been through some big life moments, often some particularly challenging or painful circumstances. And I mention that both so that we recognize what the Father is doing amongst us, but so we work with him rather than react against it. So we think, yeah, we're going to welcome everybody with the comfort we've received from God. We're going to come from, comfort others rather than thinking, oh, do I have to give out yet again? As I thought about that reaction, I was reminded of the story of the Tin Man in The Wizard of Oz. Uh, if you know the story in Frank Baum's novel, uh, he used to be a real person. He was a real guy, and he fell in love with a beautiful maiden, and a wicked witch hated their love and put a spell on him. And one by one, his limbs turned to tin. He ended up losing his very heart, and he just lost his love and went through the motions, chopped wood outside, got stuck in the rain, and rusted solid. And that is where Dorothy finds him. That's a picture of what can happen to us if we're not careful, if we lose our love for other people. Uh, from time to time, about you know, two or three times a term, Six to nine times a year, I meet with leaders from other churches, uh, in Sutton, in London, beyond. And sometimes, sometimes they will tell me about people in their church communities. And one of the more common stories goes something like this. There was this guy, there was this girl. And they once had such vision for God, oh, how they dream for the future, oh, how they live with such faith and expectation, and then something happened. Maybe it wasn't a wicked witch putting a spell on them, but maybe it was just the attrition of a busy life. Maybe they got distracted, went through financial hardship. Maybe they failed personally. Maybe somebody else hurt them. Maybe it wasn't a wicked witch, but maybe it was spiritual warfare. No idea how that works, but the Bible says that is a thing. And yet somehow in the midst of it, they, they kind of lost their love. And maybe even for a while, they went through the motions. They attended services they served on teams, but somehow they kind of rusted solid. May that never happen to us. May we not go through hard times and think, oh, maybe I'm done with people. May actually the challenges we go through keep our hearts soft. I, I love how Dorothy responds to the Tin Man. 
she finds a little jar of oil and she pours it on his joints. And as he gets his movement back, he decides, you know what? I'm going to give myself to the cowardly lion and the brainless scarecrow and little lost Dorothy and her little lost dog Toto. And somehow through giving himself to that motley crew, he ends up being caught up on the most amazing adventure and finds he has got a heart after all. I pray that's a picture of what our gatherings are like. That whatever circumstances we go through, that our gatherings together are like oil on our joints. And as we decide to give ourselves to the lost and to the least, God catches us up on the most amazing adventure. Whatever we go through, this is to be a community where everyone is welcome and where there is always, always, always room for one more. This is who we are. This is value number one. Value number two for us as a service, leg number two of the table is this, this is to be a community where we help many people find faith in Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, I was uh, traveling on the train from Victoria to Sutton, and uh, I started listening in on the phone conversation of the guy sitting next to me. Uh, There was an aisle between us, but he was on the phone. I don't know whether you've ever done this before, but it quickly transpired that this guy was a Christian. And as he was talking on the phone, he revealed that a year ago, he wrote his first Christian book called The Culture of God. So I'm like, I've, I've got to Google this. So I Googled The Culture of God, and this book came up by Nadim Nassar. So on the train, I'm like, I've got to Google Nadim Nassar. As I did, uh, this, this guy came up on the screen. Uh, next slide. There he is. So I've got this photo on my phone, and I'm, I'm comparing the photo to the guy sitting next to me on the screen. I realize I sound like a stalker at this point in the story. Please, please bear with me. Uh, as, as I look at this guy, I'm like, this is the guy sitting next to me right now. And it turns out he's the Church of England's only Syrian priest and actually travels the world uh, speaking. He's actually quite a remarkable guy. And he's sitting next to me on the train. I'm like, I really want him to put the phone down and talk to me. And uh, I'm, I'm not proud of this, I'm a bit embarrassed by this, but I'm like, how, how can I get him to talk to me? And in my bag, I had a, a Bible commentary on 2 Corinthians. And I thought, if I get the Bible commentary out, and I've got wave my hand over it, he might think, a fellow brother in the Lord, a divine appointment, put the phone down and talk to me. So I, I got the Bible commentary out of my bag, I put it on the table, I kind of wave my hands over it, and uh, he basically just looked at me as if I was really strange. Uh, got off the train at Hackbridge, and I'm now trying to find out where he lives. And now, here's the point of the story. Um, as, I was, as I was Googling him, I came across him sharing a really simple insight into the miracle that we are looking at today, the feeding of the 5,000. And uh, I thought, rather than me recount it to you, I would show you the little video clip of him sharing this insight. So here is a two-minute video clip of a man that I stalked on the train Uh, talking about the miracle that we're looking at today. Uh, Two minutes long, let's play the clip now. We have to understand the importance of bread first Mm -hmm. in the Middle East. I grew up in Latakia in Syria. For us, the way we describe bread is grace, na'meh in Arabic. So it's a gift of God and it's the, the very basic element of nourishment. Because of that, it is holy for the people in the Middle East. So even to the extent when a piece of bread falls to the ground, I would pick it up and kiss it, put it on my forehead and put it, if if it is, for example, in the street, I will put it somewhere that nobody would step on it. So we have huge respect for bread. It's very important for us 
that fragments will not be thrown away. So they will be collected around the table and put away safely in a, in a basket or something and be kept for the next meal to be. You see, sometimes it is worth stalking people on the train. Christchurch London in Sutton, it's good to stalk. No, 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 that's not the vision for our service. Um, three insights I love into that clip. Insight number one, I love how Jesus provides more than the people need. Uh, we'll come to the 12 baskets left over a little later on, but with these 12 baskets, I've often thought that their leftovers, they'll probably be thrown away. I mean, just to reassure you, like if I give my kids a sandwich, uh, they will always leave at least some. Always the crust, usually at least half of the sandwich. Whenever I come across a half-eaten sandwich in my house, I don't think, ooh, that'll be okay if you come over for dinner. I, I don't do that. I think, no, no, one, no one can eat that now. It needs to go in the food bin. Not here in Mark 6. Very different culture. Like, this bread really matters, and it's put away for a future meal. 18,000 people need feeding, and there is still room for more at the table. I love what that says about Jesus. Second thing I love about that insight is how this miracle speaks of Jesus' love and care for people. This is not just any old miracle. This is a miracle providing something for which people have huge respect. Bread is holy. Bread is kind of fundamental for life. So as Jesus provides this, imagine how this speaks into Jesus' care for the everyday needs of people. I love what that says about Jesus. And then the third thing I love about that clip is how the word bread means grace. Jesus is not just dispensing bread here, he's a dispenser of grace. Uh, I mentioned earlier that this is the only miracle that appears in all four Gospels. And John's Gospel is a bit different from the other three. And after this miracle in John chapter 6, there's a bit of bonus insight. Jesus talks to his disciples about what's just happened. And basically he says this, and the verse will come up on the screen. He says, the real bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world, it's not the bread I multiplied, it's actually me. I am the bread of life. This miracle is a picture of something way more significant. And in fact, as he breaks the bread, it calls to mind a later moment when he will break bread on the night that he is betrayed, before he gives up his very life. Jesus has not come primarily to provide bread. He's come to give his life. He's come to provide life. And this is what we are to do as a service. Yes, we're to be a community where everyone is welcome. But we're not here primarily to be a social club just to build community. Nor are we here just to care for the needs of others, though of course that's a big part of who we are. Primarily, we are here to introduce people to the bread of life, to the saviour of the world. This is why we do this. A couple of dates for your diaries. At Friday the 22nd of November, we are going to book a venue in Sutton, provide food, and we are going to worship God together, and then we're going to invite the presence of the Holy Spirit to come, and we're going to pray for people. And we are going to invite anyone and everyone that we know who kind of really needs some kind of breakthrough in their life right now. Maybe often, actually, primarily people who don't know Jesus. Now, just to be clear, maybe this will work, maybe not. The reason we're doing it is a number of people in our community feel stirred to give this a go. Maybe it'll take a few goes to get right. Maybe it won't work at all. But the motive behind this is we're not here to simply put on services. We're here to help people find faith in Jesus. You know, I, I love Alpha. It was great to be at the Alpha launch on Wednesday. It's great to help people work through some of the evidence behind the Christian faith. But sometimes what people need is not evidence. What they need is supernatural breakthrough into their lives. 
And so we're just going to try and provide a space where maybe, maybe God can do that. Maybe that can happen. Second date for your diary, Sunday 24th of November. Uh, we actually don't have access to this venue on that day. There's a Christmas fair here. Uh, the school has said, I'm really sorry you can't meet here that day. So I was like, what do we do? Maybe we find another venue and have another church service. And as I prayed about this, I was like, no, that, that's not the only reason that we're here. And so we're just going to gather together on Sutton High Street for about an hour, and we're going to give out flyers to invite people to our church. We'll have flyers to invite people to, people to church and for our carol service, which will be three weeks later. Uh, no Christians will be out there because they all will be in church on Sunday morning. So everyone's fair game for us. And again, the motive behind this is we want people to find faith in Jesus. Now, I want to be honest with you that both of these things are a little outside my comfort zone. I don't like doing things like this. I'd rather just have a church meeting. I want to invite you to join me outside my comfort zone. Because we're not simply here to build community. We're here to introduce people to the bread of life. This is why we do this. So let's, as a team, be open to making that happen. Everyone is welcome. We're here to help many people find faith in Jesus. Value number three. Leg three of the table is this, we're here to make disciples. We're here to make disciples. Most challenging line of this miracle story, verse 37, Jesus says, you go feed them. 18,000 hungry people, you go and feed them. Like, this is the way God works. God has a master plan to change the world, and plan A is the church, it is us, and there is no plan B. Uh, yes, he has all the power. Yeah, he gets all the glory. But actually what he calls us to do is come to him with our metaphorical pat lunch, all my limitations, all my weakness. And then he gives me his power, but then he sends me back out into the world to go and feed a hungry people. This is how God works. Now I feel very uncomfortable that this is the case. I'd rather God just made church happen. Now sometimes I've asked God, you know, why can't you give me everything when I become a Christian? Why can't every sick person I pray for get well? Why can't every person I share my faith with come to faith in Jesus? I, I think here is one of the reasons that if God gave me everything, if God answered all my prayers, I would increasingly rely on my own strength and gifting rather than his. And I'd slowly get conformed into my selfish image rather than get conformed to the image of God's son Jesus. And so what God does is he calls me in my weakness with my you know, pathetic pat lunch to keep on coming again and again and again to Jesus in my weakness. He empowers me, and then he sends me out into a needy world. That is discipleship. It is keeping on coming back to Jesus. You know, I, I would love this sermon to change your life. I would love, 20 years from now, you to still be talking about the 13th of October, 2019. Like, wow, Andy, that was amazing. You know, it was like there was life before the sermon, and then there was life after the sermon. I mean, it was just amazing. No sermon works that way, not even Jesus's. There is no church retreat, no Christian conference, no extraordinary time in worship that can be as transformative as that. Jesus promises amazing life change, yes, but it comes through keeping on, keeping on, keeping on, coming back to him, receiving his power, and then coming out again into a needy world. The word disciple literally means apprentice. If I want to get good at being a piano player, I don't have one lesson and then I'm done. Whether I like it or not, I keep on coming back and I learn and I apply myself and then over time, I begin to get accomplished. Discipleship, apprenticeship to Jesus works exactly the same way. Now, of course, we don't come like the disciples did here in Mark 6 to the physical person of Jesus. 
So what we come to instead is his body on earth, the church. This is what the church is for. And through keeping on, keeping on, keeping on coming back to church community, that is how my life changes. One of our very unambitious goals for the next three months is to multiply from one connect group to two. If everyone in our community came along, we've grown to around about 60, 70 people, and we figure that rather than having one catch-all connect group, uh, we should probably have two now, uh, maybe more in due course, so we can form a more intentional community in smaller groups. I just want to be clear, the motive behind this is not that we love church meetings. It's not that we think more people need to be in church meetings. No, it's because we believe in apprenticeship to Jesus. And there is no problem on earth that apprenticeship to Jesus cannot solve. And so we just want to create context where people can come like, and learn and grow in the mixed of Christian community. Now, I realize for some, connect group won't work. Children to care for, long hours at work. But maybe I want to encourage you to find a context that does work, where you can be an apprentice, where you can learn and grow. Because actually, my heart for this service is less that I set a vision or Joy sets a vision and we all have to run towards it. But more my prayer is that your dreams in God come true. That what God has put in your heart becomes reality in due course. That won't happen through one sermon. It happens through the power of being an apprentice to Jesus in the midst of his body, the church. As we see people come to faith, this is what we are to call them to. We're not here to build a crowd. We're here to create a community of disciples. And if Jesus can change the world with 12 disciples, I think he can change this city with the people in this room right now. Making disciples is a core value of us as a church, and we as a community are to lead the charge on this. And so on our first birthday, I want to call you to this. Everyone is welcome. We're here to help people find faith in Jesus. We're here to make disciples, and we need to lead on this first and foremost. And then value number four, which possibly is the most important value of all, is we're here to rely on the power and presence of God. Uh, It's a really obvious point from the miracle. But the only reason it happens is because Jesus has the power. And it's the same for us. Like this community will not be built on clever management principles or leadership initiatives. It will be built on the presence and power of God more than anything else. And so we are to rely on that more than anything else and to prioritize and prize it. Don't know whether any of you have seen the, uh, the old movie Jean de Florette. Uh, This was out in 1986. Uh, It was the most expensive French movie ever made at the time. Uh, All the reviews give it five stars, seen as an absolute classic. And uh, the story speaks of a guy called Jean who inherits a plot of land in the hills of Provence after the Second World War. And there are some greedy, corrupt neighbors who covet this land, and they want it for themselves. And they are the only ones who know of the stream that waters this land. So they block up the stream so the land isn't watered anymore, in the hope that the land decreases in value and Jean sells it for a knockdown price. And Jean ends up walking every single day to the nearest well, miles and miles, back-breaking work, to try and draw water to water this land because he doesn't know about the stream. And eventually it wearies himself out, it breaks him completely, and he loses his life. And before you think this is the most depressing movie ever made in the history of the world, there's a follow-up movie, a sequel called Manon de Sauce. It was actually filmed at the same time. They were filmed back-to-back. It's basically one long movie in two. And this second movie is hugely redemptive with the most astonishing twist at the end, um, which I won't spoil for you. It's subtitled, but it's well worth giving it a watch. It's an amazing story. 
Now, here's the point of the illustration. Jean de Florette has an inexhaustible supply of water and refreshment and life, an answer to all his prayers right beneath his feet, and he just doesn't know it. I so often live my Christian life this way. I came across a story, someone actually pointed this out to me in a newspaper, uh, the Daily Mail, which I don't uh, read uh, that often. There's a story about a lady called June Clark. Picture of June, there she is. And uh, June was at work one day, and she had a really nasty fall, injured her back and her spine, her pelvis and her hip. Uh, she was in constant pain, uh, confined to a wheelchair and put on pain medication by her doctor for life. She's in pain the whole time and she lives like this for a long time and then one day she gets desperate. She goes to church, she gets uh, prayed for and she is instantly and completely healed. All the pain is gone. She goes to her doctor and like, I think Jesus has healed me. The doctor says, wait a few months. Months and months pass. She is still totally pain-free. Jesus has healed her. So she starts to feel a bit guilty that she's still claiming sickness benefits. So what does she do? She calls the government and she says, um, Jesus has healed me. I don't need sickness benefits anymore. The person on the other end of the phone says, well, that's an amazing story. But it says here, the doctor says you need to receive sickness benefits for life. And I've got no box here to tick that says miracle has happened. So I'm really sorry, you're going to have to keep receiving sickness benefits. Isn't that crazy? And that's basically what the story is all about. We are not to live that way. And yet so often I do. I encounter a challenge. I encounter a dilemma. And I, I, I rule out the box that ticks miracle can happen here. Breakthrough can happen here. No, we are not to live that way. There is an inexhaustible supply of life and water and refreshment right beneath our feet. We just have to learn to tap into it. And so this is to be a priority for us. Two weeks' time, it's a week of prayer for us as a church. On the Wednesday of that week, we're going to gather together to pray. This is not just a box-ticking exercise. It's because we need God. I need God. I can't do this service. I can't do life without God. I want to call you to that level of dependency on God too. And if we begin to tap into more of the life and power that God has for us, I can't wait to see what happens. Four legs of the table for us. Number one, everyone is welcome. Let's keep our hearts soft to welcome other people. Number two, we're here to help people find the bread of life, not just bread. Number three, we're here to make disciples and we're to see our lives change as well. We're to grow as apprentices of Jesus. And number four, goodness me, we need the presence and power of God. So let me finish by asking the $64 billion question. What do we do next? What's the next step for us? Well, I'm sure many of you have heard of a guy called Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a German pastor and theologian, uh, stood up to the Nazis in the Second World War, lost his life at their hands in 1945. In 1939, he wrote a book called Life Together, which is very much a Christian classic. It's kind of iconic in the Christian world. And he says some really remarkable stuff in it. And one of the more provocative things he says in this book is this, and the quote will be on the screen. God hates visionary dreaming. I think maybe he's exaggerating to make a point, but goodness me, for someone who likes vision, and this is supposed to be Vision Sunday, that's a rather provocative statement. God hates visionary dreaming. What does he mean? Here's part of what he's getting at. What if Joy and I set a vision for this service and that's not God's vision? 
that God's vision is different from what we choose to set as the vision for this service. I mean, right here in Mark's Gospel, all the disciples have a vision for the future, and none of those visions involve Jesus going to the cross. What if I set a vision for this service, and actually that's not God's vision? Bonhoeffer says this, the first thing that'll happen is I'll start blaming you. You're not working hard enough to accomplish the vision, guys. Come on. Second thing that'll happen is I'll start blaming God. Where are you? You gave me the vision. And the third thing that'll happen is I'll start blaming myself. I'm such a failure. I didn't accomplish the vision. And Bonhoeffer says this, one of the the biggest Achilles heels for churches, and I have seen this happen again and again and again, is he says this, people start loving the dream of church more than the church itself. This fantasy of the future becomes more important to us than what God is doing in the here and now. Bonhoeffer says this, our first call is not to envision a church, but to receive one. In other words, the antidote to visionary dreaming is gratitude for what God has and is doing. Bonhoeffer says this, true visionary leadership is being first to recognize what God has already formed and then being thankful for it. This is what Jesus is doing in Mark chapter 6. Jesus is not doing a magic trick here. What does he do? This isn't a Darren Brown moment. What does he do? He looks at 18,000 hungry people. He looks at 12 very limited disciples. And he looks at a packed lunch. And then he takes the packed lunch and he lifts it to heaven and he just says, thank you, God. And then, then the miracle happens. That's what we're to do. That's how we are to live. Rather than on our first birthday, me painting a maybe unrealistic future for us as a service, I'm to say, let's recognize what God is doing in our midst right now. Let's thank God for each and every person that he's brought into our midst over the last year. Let's thank God for the stories that people have got to tell. Let's thank God for the amazingly special times of worship we've had again and again and again over the last year. You know, one of the reasons I think we've had some very special times of worship is this is increasingly a community that has learned to hang on to Jesus when they have nothing else to hang on to. What's God going to do through that in the future? I can, I can only imagine. Let's recognize the fathers at work. Let's thank God for the amazing children we have in the adjoining rooms. God's hand on their lives now, what he's done in their lives over the last year, rather than what he may or may not do in the future. Let's recognize the hand of God at work. This is what we are to do. This is what birthday Sundays are to be about. My, my little girl, Mia, she was seven years old two weeks ago. On her seventh birthday, I didn't look at her and think, oh, what's going to happen when you're eight or nine or 10 or 15 or, or 21? I just looked at her and said, I am so grateful for you right now and everything that has happened over the last seven years. That's how you celebrate a birthday. That's what we are to do. And in knowing and recognizing all that God has done amongst us now, we can have great confidence for the future. Uh, there is a sequel to Mark chapter 6, two chapters later. There's like a follow-up to this miracle. The disciples are getting into a boat again, and they've forgotten bread. And Jesus looks at them, verses 14 to 19, and he says, are you still grumbling about bread? Are you still talking about what you don't have? And then he asks them this provocative question, when I multiplied the loaves, five loaves, two fish, how many baskets were left over? And they're like, uh, 12. And then he says this, do you still not understand 
What's he getting at? What he's saying is this. How many of there are you, disciples? Uh, Twelve. How many baskets have I already provided? Uh, Twelve. You're grumbling about what you don't have. And I have already given you everything that you need. And I am with you right now. That's how we live on birthday Sunday. We're not to stop and think, oh, why haven't we got through this number yet? Why haven't we started a third connect group? Why haven't we seen breakthrough here? All that'll come. Why? Because God's with us. What we're to do is on our birthday Sunday say, oh, hasn't God been good? Hasn't he provided everything that we need already? Let's recognize what he's doing in the here and now and worship him. That's what you do on birthday Sunday. And this is where I want to finish this talk. Who are we as a community? We're to be a place where everyone is welcome. Oh, I can't wait to see more and more people find faith in Jesus. It's happened this year already. Oh, I want to see more. We're here to make disciples, and I want us to grow as apprentices too. So we're the people living this out, being empowered by God. And fourthly, goodness, we need the presence and power of God. How do we live as we build on this foundation with worship and gratitude in our hearts? Rather than looking to the future, let's enjoy God in the here and now. And I'd love us to do that right now. Maybe the band could come up. Why don't we all stand to our feet? Our first call, says Bonhoeffer, is not to envision a church, but to receive one. Just to say at the end of the service, when we eat cake, and drink refreshments, and talk with each other, that's part of receiving a church. And just being joyful about what God's done amongst us already. But before we get to that, I think we should just worship our amazing God. Thank him for everything that he has done and the fact that he's with us right now. Let me just pray very briefly. Why don't you just bow your heads? Father, I just want to invite you into this moment right now. On birthday Sunday, we just look back with gratitude and worship. Oh, how we love you. Oh, how we love recognizing the work of God in each person in this room right now. We love the way that you meet with us by your spirit when we worship. We don't have to wait for the future to see that. We can do it right now. And so I just want to ask, because you are a gracious and loving God, and you have already given us everything that we need, I invite you to meet with us now. As we worship you, I pray this would be a moment for us where you are made very real to us. Where we recognize you are not a distant and aloof God. You are a loving Father and you sit us on your lap and you just whisper words of love over us. Father, we invite you to draw close by your Spirit. We invite you to fill us with confidence and courage and faith that because of all you have provided already, oh, we can have great confidence for whatever is to come. Because you love us. Because you're for us. So we honor you. We exalt you. May our words now be a fragrant offering to you. And we invite you to come connect with us. Come Holy Spirit, we ask. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship together.